you're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms. And if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hey guys, I'm so happy you could join us for this episode. We are having such a special time today with pioneers in the trauma and faith conversation world. And that is with Dan and Becky Allender. You probably know their names. If not, you will very soon. And you'll be curious because they've helped hundreds of thousands of people with trauma, abuse, sexual abuse. They've developed with others the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, including the Allender Center. And oh my goodness, the books they have written, the marriage work they're doing, it is prolific. And we are so gifted for them to not only share with us today as experts, but they are here on the stand with us as a couple of many decades who is going to talk seasons of life with us, who is going to tell us how they work with contempt currently when it comes up, and even how they're trying to work on generational patterns and re-storytelling continually. You'll remember we had Steve and Lisa call on, and this couple works with them and others that you've probably heard Jay Stringers come through that uh, school. So many others that we've had are connected and appreciate the Allender Center and all the work they're doing. Doing. And I'm just so grateful we get this time with them today. So I love the real deep conversations, real and deep conversations. And then I also want to make sure that if you take any of their courses, make sure in the show notes that you also grab the code Enneagram15 because their online courses are all 15% off for our audience. So make sure you take advantage of that because they have so much to teach us if you're like me and you're more of a distance learner in this season of life or you also can hear about their wonderful deep dive and their retreats. So they have, they're meeting us with social, with the one-to-one. They're meeting us with the self-prez because they know we're all in different spaces. So I can't wait for you to hear the authenticity. I can't wait for you to hear their types if you don't know them already. And I can't wait to just dive in because we get a really a really encouraging. And I really mean that when I say that, because I feel like they bring us courage through this episode. They've been through a lot and they're willing to share. So let's not leave anything on the table either. Let's come in with arms open wide and learn from them. Dan and Becky, it is such a delight to have you here for the Enneagram and Marriage podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Chris, it's so delightful to be with you. It's wonderful to be here. Oh, well, we are just laughing as we talked about our varied terrain, sunshine and rain, and hopefully we'll bring a bit of all of that to you guys today listening. But Dan and Becky, so many people know about you. You have been so prolific in the trauma field and the psychology field and theology. Can you tell us about yourselves and a little bit about your marriage? You go first. All right, I'll go first. Well, I actually thought I was marrying a pastor when actually I did marry a pastor, but God had different plans. And and, um, you got a couple of more degrees and it's been a really good fit for Dan. I've seen him change over the many years and just become more and more tender with all the stories he has sat with and, um, and, resided with and really cared for couples and individuals. So I'm thrilled that he's been a professor all these years. 
Oh, wow. You know, when when you think about life's progression, none, none of the decisions that we've made made sense in the moment. Um, I went to seminary and was probably sort of a Christian, but not really, uh, and really came to a, a sense of the goodness of God in the midst of trying to grapple with what is all this stuff about the Bible. And it stepped into a church uh, that uh, could endure a, a pretty troubled kid like me. Uh, but it became pretty clear after a while that um, the way even a really radical church was moving uh, didn't really fit who I was or who we were. So the sense of calling into dealing with the human heart uh, has been a journey, oh goodness, uh, of you know, of our own exposure and revelation of the things within us that are so broken, but also so beautiful. So it's it's been, you know, as we look back as 70-year-olds over a life and go, how do we get here? And for the most part, it makes very little sense other than there is a goodness. And so uh, I would say, yeah, I, I, I thought I could be a pastor. It just became clear not a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. And I love how you guys shared how the journey was something you never could have walked out without the goodness of God guiding you through, because you would have thought it was this rigid system. Like we all do this linear path of checking boxes. And even Becky shares that as she's thinking, this is the man I married, not knowing we change and evolve so much with all of our, uh, you know, changes in our brain. So that makes me laugh. Um, and it makes me see how personalities change and neurogenesis. So tell us a little bit about what you think your Enneagram types are. I know you guys have been uh, familiar with the Enneagram for many years, but I would love to hear where you've landed there. Well, I believe I'm a nine. Oh. <laughs> I think I um, abide in that category fully. And sometimes I wish I wasn't there, yeah. but um, it's certainly, it's my journey of just pleasing people and go, having a lot of different types of friends and relationships, just kind of following. I'm, I'm a good follower. And um, Dan's a good leader being, you say what you are. Well, I, I think <laughs> this is part of the fun of the Enneagram is that I think you can locate yourself. Uh, and the location really is back to the word revelatory. Mm. But in that, there will always be these unique individual variations and differences, meaning mm. that in many ways, we're all nine. Yeah. But on the other hand, we land largely. And I so I, I would be largely an eight. So the complications of an eight and nine uh, <laughs> are just, I, I think, fun. Yes, we do. Uh, a lot of people I work with uh, happen to be leaders, uh, and a lot of leaders are eights, mm -hmm. and a lot of leaders marry nines. Mm -hmm. And when you've got that configuration, mm -hmm. you've got like at, at my lovely wife's worst, uh, she's brilliantly passive aggressive, yeah. uh, and, yes. <laughs> and, and, and at my worst, uh, I'm a bullet. 
And so between a bully who's shouting uh, and a, a, a brilliant passive aggressive who's stonewalling, but also freezing uh, and in that process uh, thwarting, you know, <laughs> we, we've had some pretty um, amazing fights. <laughs> and I grew up with uh, a loud household. My parents were not shy about hollering their desires and their commands. So mm. in some regard, I'm thankful for that because <laughs> if, if I hadn't had that, I think I would have not stayed <laughs> in the dating yeah. relationship. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I, I mean, I was sophisticated enough to know to lie uh, through the dating. <laughs> uh, so I don't think you saw much of what was fully real, or maybe you did. But, you know, I mean, like a, a great example is she shared with me early on her dream to hike the Appalachian Trail. Mm -hmm. And I remember going, oh, I have always wanted to do so. I didn't even know what the Appalachian Trail was. It didn't matter. Uh, whatever she was uh, and desired, that was, in one sense, I think the brilliance of an eight to accommodate, mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. gain yes. access. So You totally scammed me in quite a few ways. Yeah. <laughs> you love backpacking, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, what kind of backpack do you have? <laughs> I, I, I had no clue what a backpack was, uh, other than something you packed on your back. So, I mean, there were just so many elements where you just go, you know, without the fundamental, in one sense, courage that Becky has. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times nines don't get honored for naming a, a vast amount of courage because when she speaks to expose something mm -hmm. of my failures, mm -hmm. it takes so much more mm -hmm. uh, of an intensity, anger, courage to speak. But we, we've had levels of that kind of honesty from really the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, as you look at a marriage over, we're what, awfully close to 47 years, um, yeah. you, you just stand back and you go, Oh my gosh, even in the first month or two, uh, I can see things that have developed over decades to actually say, uh, you know, redemption's been at play. And I think that's true for every marriage. Redemption requires walking in the valley of the shadow of death. Mm. Uh, and if your marriage doesn't have moments of a taste of hell, mm. then irrespective of what um, Enneagram type you might be, you're you're losing the potential that almost every marriage bears some degree of opposition, some mm. degree of we we marry to be redeemed. Mm. We marry without even awareness of why we want to be redeemed. Mm. Uh, and so the set of I demand you make my life better, but I don't even know what it is I need for my life to be better mm. and mm. Uh, i just wow. again and again and again this has been the sweetest wildest hardest exploratory mm. process uh that i can imagine a human being being on ah oh, 
so well said, you guys. Oh, so beautiful, so rich, so deep. And thank you for being so honest and vulnerable, because I think that's one of our favorite things here at this podcast is we don't want to hear from the perfect couples. We know that they exist in small numbers, or so they say. (laughs) But even when we research them, they almost always say that it took a lot of grit and tenacity to get there. But the others of us and the other 80% or so, including myself and, and you guys as well, we have had some very deep struggles and may have more ahead. And it's so wonderful for you to remind us of the redemption as part of that. And that is why you are a gift to so many couples. Uh, we've interviewed and and I've worked with many eight, nine couples. I think it's perhaps the most common pairing other than one nine. Um, yeah. And it's a very powerful pairing. So I just want to remind every listener of that. And that's why I think part of the reason God put you together for such huge work is the amount of power to face the in, and to fight the injustices of the world that you bring is just, it's, I'm floored by it, you know, because that's how many eights and nines work together and own their own business or do something huge like this. Because I think our body gut types have this five senses awareness to be really able to see in a grounded way what the world needs. They're able to clarify it in a way that sometimes us thinking types can get very lost in the mire and you guys can produce. But like you said, it's not without its scars. And I like that you noted this, Dan, that Becky from the beginning, I would imagine she also had, along with the sweet demure part, this wry wit that I see with the nines a lot that keeps you on your toes, right? That's hilarious. Uh, I I mean, there are so many times that we're in a a unpleasant, heartbreaking, nasty interaction, mostly, obviously, prompted by me. And and she will say something that is brilliantly (laughs) brilliant and subtle, but mm, exposing and just. The absolute brilliance of that. Mm-hmm. I'm angry, but I can't help but laugh. <laughs> right. and, and I don't want to laugh because I'm angry. And yet it is so yeah. disarming <laughs> to be in the presence of somebody who, again, it's one of the, 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 the elements of every part of us is broken, but also beautiful. So yeah. even that passive aggressive mm. at its worst, mm. but at its best, it's this playful ability to turn the tables on you in a way in which you didn't expect. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's a long way to say, right on. <laughs> oh, well, I am so glad to see it. I've seen it beautifully. Uh, like you said, as hard as it is, it's also one of my absolute favorite pairings. I believe my late parents were in eight, nine marriage and uh, the deep love. My dad always said they're a withering heights marriage. Um, it's just, it's almost obsessive at times because there's so much chemistry. So I know we could rest on that all day and I would love to, but I want to serve everybody here. So let me ask you guys, Wow. After all these years of your own 47 plus year marriage of of serving in so many great capacities, uh, which we shared before you guys came on, um, what would you say are some of the biggest things you're seeing with couples? Because we hear a lot about people feeling incompatible or, you know, having an extended family that feels like they're not a right fit. Uh, later, it's about intimacy issues, but you guys could big picture it even better. What have you been seeing out there? 
Well, I, it, it, what comes to mind, because I, I still have the privilege of working uh, with couples mm. and, you know, it's just part of the um, sweetness of being able to step into what oftentimes feels like burnt terrain. Mm. Um, there is such a sense of desert, like nothing will grow here again. Mm. And yet uh, the reality is that when you've got two people who are at least somewhat willing to look at the lock in their own eye, uh, to begin to own what do they bring to a marriage that that is beautiful, but also broken. So I just, a, a couple that I'm working with uh, fit the category of a four and an eight. And usually that is volatile uh, with a lot of drama. Uh, but two big life people uh, in their interaction, each with very strong external internal worlds that sometimes collide. And so I think, you know, to step back and be able to say every couple, as I put words to before, is is looking for redemption through the other. Mm. Uh, but oftentimes that redemption is not being acknowledged, meaning mm. we marry out of our family of origin, not mm. just out of our Enneagram. Mm. We, yeah. we marry out of the debris, mm. but brokenness, but also something of the glory of our family of origin. And uh, I came from a world that had a lot of mental illness, a mother who was borderline, a mm. father who was very disengaged. Mm. And that realm uh, sort of opened the door for me to be uh, very watchful, very insightful, but also deeply, deeply reluctant to let my heart be captured by anyone. Mm. And so, you know, when you, you know, you, you've got this pairing of deep desire, but also deep suspicion, mm. and then to engage, uh, you know, it, with this stunningly kind mm. beautiful woman who i met in, in french class in 10th grade oh. uh, you know that i mean i i surreptitiously dropped my pencil uh so that <laughs> i could stare at her legs um and and she had no more interest in me than a, a, a proverbial man in the moon but i bet Tenth no. grade for a nine, she's probably like, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> right. I was kind of unaware. I, I was so good at dropping the pencil, you weren't even <laughs> aware of that. So, I mean, you know, even without being able to name, you have a mentally ill mother who has created a level of bondage to take care of her very mm. fragmented soul. And you need somebody who's sufficiently independent, mm. who will never need you. But on the other hand, mm -hmm. is playful and engaged and mm -hmm. superlatively kind. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, I, I wouldn't have known that the day that we stood in front of the pastor and got married. I, I don't think I knew that really even in the first decade of our marriage. Yeah. But over time, it became clearer that when she's needing me, uh, my reaction is uh, to be irritated uh, and to withdraw. Uh, and she came from a world that I won't put words to because it's your story to tell. But her response, it has been, I will not need. So we were a perfect fit. Mm -hmm. 
you can't have needs. I don't want to mess with needs. And mm. we would have looked like a very happy couple in the first, mm. I don't know, three days of our marriage. Oh, longer than that. <laughs> yeah. 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 We fit together pretty well. Yeah. I had a one for a mother who was very controlling mm. and knew everything and was very, very busy. And if there was going to be any fun in the family, it would come from my dad who did like to play and act silly and ride motorcycles and go sailing and ice skating. So um, that allowed me to have some triangulation with my dad and then having to be careful around my mom. So, um, and they were not so um, taken as parents. Our families essentially despised one another. So we were living. They lived in the same community mm. about 10 minutes away. So, you know, the tensions between our family of origins, uh, I was darkly, wickedly loyal to my mother mm. without having any awareness mm. that that loyalty superseded my commitment to Becky. Mm. And so, so, uh, you know, the, the levels of complexity that are going to come not just through a, an eight and a nine, but our family of origins set the very soil mm. for how we would approach uh, being an eight and being a nine. And mm. so that relationship of um, I can't bear dependency because it is the bondage that I did my level best to escape. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, for Becky, any need would have set her up to be humiliated mm. uh, by her mother uh, in many ways, mm. uh, maybe cared for by her father. But even in that, that would have created more conflict with her mom. So yeah. we we had that sense of we are the lock and key that fit yes. well. Yet that lock and key is just built on so much trauma, mm-hmm. so yeah. much fragmentation. And in so many ways, such a failure of love. So I, I think in that sense, every marriage is meant to be a disruptive, revelatory, inviting exposure, mm. not only to one's past, but in some sense to the what the, the potential redemption for the future. Mm. So I think... We would still say there are ugly moments. Mm. Uh, they are fewer. Uh, we're quicker uh, to engage it. Uh, but that fundamental sense of uh, I could never be the man that I've been called to be without a wife who has disrupted mm. me as deeply as, as mm. Becky has. Ah. Mm. Oh. You just speak to everybody so much with, again, your poignant honesty, but also just to give that hope that we need to see when I'm with somebody so different, which I get at least asked on every podcast I go on, you know, can we work if we're different? And I think what we're all really noting here is this is the redemptive piece you're talking about. These differences bring us to health and it's hard work. Uh, And sometimes as we're all agreeing to our shadows can bring one another down and we can tell those old stories. Um, 
Wow. And, and when you guys share that you have these complex family of origin stories, you're also answering the question to say, yeah, that has been part of it. That's been a huge part of the journey that we may not have even recognized at the beginning when we're all in those stages of, no, I'm nothing like my parent. And then we start to later realize, yeah, I can take on those traits sometimes and in good and bad ways. And, and so we're, we're learning compassion and grace as we get older. And that's a good reminder for our newlyweds listening. But what about when people are so stuck in their traumas and and they know it and they know they have these difficult histories and yet they're trying to make it. Do you have any grounding practices for couples? I love your podcast, by the way, so I know they can find them there. But do you feel like there's anything you feel like you're consistently sharing with couples on this journey to say, hey, when you find your rubber meets the road hardship moments, uh, this is something we recommend. Yeah. And it, I think one of the hardest things to sell to people is that awareness or, you know, an attachment language attunement mm-hmm. is way more than 50, 60% of the battle. You know, it, it, it won't win the full battle, but boy, if you refuse to be able to own that you're being triggered by your spouse mm-hmm. and, and, and triggered means there are things in you it's not just the situation. It's not just what Becky said. It's something within me that mm. has to be attended to, mm. become aware of, and to have to. If you won't begin with what I understand, ocean in Luke 7 of, uh, deal with the log in your own first, which the word log here does not imply sin. Uh, it implies judgment. So the question of what judgments are you making of one another or of yourself? Mm. So can we become aware of, of, of a word that I think links to the word judgment? And that's the word contempt. So mm. one of the things that we would underscore is we're very far from being free from, from contempt. Mm. Nonetheless, mm. we do not want our marriage to, in one sense, be bound to it. So we'd love to become a contempt-free marriage. You know, when you look at the work of the Gottmans, one of the things that they have discovered is that contempt is the number one factor for being able to determine whether a couple will remain married and whether they will indeed be happy. So the Mm. presence of contempt in a marriage Mm. oftentimes just gets ignored. So what's the log in your eye is the issue of judgment. What are the judgments? Meaning what's the contempt you hold for yourself? Mm. What's the contempt you hold for your spouse? Especially in those very vulnerable moments where shame is present. If you'll let yourself begin the process of asking, what's my history of shame? What's Mm. my history of contempt? How does that play out between us over even something small like uh, a dish rag that's not fully squeezed so that it's dry. Mm. Does that bring any memory to bear, Becky? Well, yes, it does. <laughs> yes. No, I really like what you said about contempt because yeah. it's so easy to be hard on yourself or very critical of your spouse. And so we really try and recognize that sooner than later. We fail sometimes, but 
Mm-hmm. It's it's a pause, you know, that like, mm-hmm. whoa, time out. Let's let's talk about this. Yeah. So what about the ride? <laughs> well, yeah, you you didn't have a lot of housekeeping um good ideas when we married, and still um it leaves a bit of you like leaving kind of a mess sometimes. Uh, I, I am chaotic. Yes. So it you know, a, a dish rag. This is not recent, but probably within the last year. Like Becky came to me and she said, um, are, "Are you really afraid of dish rags?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that was kind of mean language." But- oh no, I thought it was brilliant. And I'm like, "What?" She said, "You leave the dish rag soaking wet." And I'm like, "And what the deal?" Uh, and like the tension between us. Right there. What's the deal? That's a very contemptuous sentence. Uh, I'm not asking. Wow. Well, uh, I didn't know dish rags had to be squeezed dry. Uh, Which says a lot about your fan origin. <laughs> I yes. had a lot of rules that yeah. I understood that a, you know even the washcloth you know and ring out the wipe off the ring around the bathtub. (laughs) Our parents were from the Great Depression, you know, so I I got a lot of things harshly, which you, I call Dan's family, like kind of grew up in a crack house. He does really didn't have a lot of things that a normal family would produce. Well, and so between some concentration camps you grew up in (laughs) and the crack house I grew up in, of we're, we're this tension of like a dish rag and I'm like this matters to you but again I want you to hear it's not like oh does this matter to you uh, I mean there's a place for great curiosity of one another but my statement of does this matter to you that it's that wasn't curious it may be an interrogative but it's full of contempt yeah. and you know being able to mess with the fact of being able to say no matter what's going on, there is never a righteousness to your own self-contempt or to other-centered contempt. And mm-hmm. so contempt becomes our flag to begin the process of going, something is getting triggered. Mm-hmm. And we stop and tend to our own heart, mm-hmm. tend to our own body, and begin to ask, you know, uh, what's going on? And sometimes it gets clear. Sometimes it requires a whole lot of labor to get clear together what's going on. So this dish rag, wet dish rag became symbolic for us of the world you came from, the world I came from, the way we each approach living in the kitchen. And much of this was due to COVID, uh, not being on the road, uh, being home infinitely more than I had been ever before. Like all of a sudden I'm intruding into her space called the kitchen uh, and how I would put dishes, how I would handle silverware, how I would handle a dish right became this ground of like, uh, are we divorcing? Um, I don't think so, but the tensions over this just seem absurd. Mm. But that's the labor of going. Mm. There's a bigger goal to a marriage than getting along. Uh, Mm. And back to the word, it's redemption. 
I'm meant to enter her world. I'm meant to invite her to enter mine so that we can do more than merely compromise. Mm. We can actually create together who we're meant to be. And that becomes, I think, both dangerous, but also worthy uh, of our soul's engagement. Mm. Yeah, you said that so well, because when we don't allow for these changes to take place, we miss what we could be together. And I love how I was sharing one of your quotes with my husband this week about, you know, how, what we could be together as part of our design for marriage. And, and you're really saying there's a lot of layers to unpack. And I like how Becky said, pausing will help everybody to be able to just regulate, to breathe, to perhaps remember there are layers even, because we're not thinking about that when we're in the sympathetic response. And then when you're able to say, Dan, hey, look, there's these cultures, there's these and we're even thinking, which I love about decades of marriage, we're, we're two and a half almost in, but you're like, there are layers of decades of cultures. You know, there are generational layers. There are so many layers from the family of origins. And like you said, many of us have multiple traumas. So I like how you're giving some more grace there each time you respond, because I also really think it was vulnerable for you guys to say, sometimes there's still contempt, because I think that word can be so scary to those of us who are marriage helpers, because we know the Gottman statistics, uh, and this audience does as well. But yet, let's be honest. I heard my husband share that with me last week. And I, I said later as I processed it, I said, there was a little bit of contempt in him when he said that statement. And I remember thinking, uh, I thought we were a little farther with that, but he had kind of a family of origin issue come up and he was wondering if he could trust me long-term. And I said something like, no, I'm not like that. And he goes, not yet. <laughs> And I just thought, is that we've been together over 20 years? What do you mean? Well, like it was just this bit of cynicism that was feeding. Um, so when we're in these spaces and we're trying to unpack some layers, you guys said pause. You guys said understand the redemptive quality that you're bringing to each other. Um, and we're going to get more of this as we talk to you about your marriage courses, packages in a moment. But uh, before we do that, I was wondering, is there anything else that you feel like, gosh, this is just another technique that's helped us over the years to begin to look at our layers? Well, it, it, again, these are hard cells yeah. because it, it, it seems too easy, yet on the other hand, it's amazingly difficult. Mm -hmm. I think to a degree, you're willing to join the other in their suffering. Mm -hmm. So that there is a, uh, uh, again, attunement brings that sense of, I see you, meaning I understand something, but mm -hmm. attunement also the word, I feel you. I feel what you are enduring. Now, here's the dilemma. Uh, I, I don't have the body of a woman. So the reality of what she's experiencing, I can only enter analogically. Mm. It, I will never fully understand her world. Never. Mm. Uh, 400 decades together will never fully understand. Right. But that's the humility to be able to say, even though I don't get fully what you're putting words to. It is my calling to enter as far as I can. But my own, uh, you know, back to the family of origin, my mother required me to enter into her borderline drama. 
And mm-hmm. I learned at a young, young age, I will not feel, mm-hmm. you know, when you're weeping, when you're raging, when you're incapacitated, I will not suffer with you. Mm-hmm. Well, in that sense, uh, it, I'm always having to push against the mm-hmm. structure of my own trauma to mm-hmm. enter her suffering. Mm-hmm. And yet, the very thing that I am not good at uh, is the very thing I need to be able to own without justification, without being able to explain it away or defend it. Uh, and to be able to say, I, I do think I- I'm a world's more tender man than I was a decade, two decades, five decades ago because of the privilege of my marriage, mm. but also the privilege of working with, with trauma survivors. Mm. So the the very thing that we need most mm. becomes what we are most terrified of. Mm. If we can own that and own the fact that every marriage bears a certain fear of one another, uh, a certain degree in which you know, we trust one another deeply until we don't. Mm. <laughs> and those moments of don't uh, need to have that honor of what's going on between us, what's going on in us, but how do I join you in being able to suffer the world as you experience it? And I think that has been a growing capacity together. Mm. I do think that story work with trauma has um, allowed me to be much more curious about the um, parts of your story and parts of your story that you haven't even really thought about. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's kind of a new um, time for us as uh, a married couple to just have this whole new language and curiosity and then compassion for yeah. one another. It, it, it came up where I looked at the refrigerator and it seemed to be absolutely empty. And, and I said, are, are you shopping or do you want me to go shop? What's going on? There's nothing in the refrigerator. And she's like, there's a lot in the refrigerator. So she said, come here. And she opened the door and began pointing out like, this is dinner tonight. This is dinner tomorrow night. And as I was walking through, I, I was not comforted. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, I see. Um, it was more like I felt even more angry <laughs> and fearful. Yeah. And but at, as she, as we were standing in front of this refrigerator, intention, and she finally says, "You, you grew up with such food insecurity," mm. and I looked at her like, oh, wow. "I mean, I knew in the instant she put words to that, like." This is a totally unaddressed issue in my life. Uh, and I, I, I was proverbially floored. And yet, uh, again, because eights don't come down quickly, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> a while for her to begin to name, your mother did this, your mother did that, you didn't have food for lunch, you didn't have, as she began to name things that we had named before, it's kind of like, how did that take nearly five decades of marriage to come into a conversation? it's, It's been heartbreaking and highly revelatory. 
in a way that we now talk about food in different ways, it, that we each have such a different experience with food that um, I think there has been a growing sense of being able to suffer Aww. something of world that food was for her food was for me. Wow. And I love how you remind us that when we know these depths, it does take decades. It does take time to marinate. And and I think that just even hearing that story where Becky was able to use these story, restory techniques, um, she's able to really enter in, in a way that <clears throat> I don't think a nine can enter in when they haven't done the work because a nine is going to be guarded with like, they're a justice type too. Like, what do you mean? And there's a lot of domesticity pride for at least my daughter, who's a nine. Uh, today's her 16th birthday and she's been cooking and winning baking contests for years. I mean, it's like, this wow. is a prolific type. It's a very powerful type as you guys know, nines. And, you know, there's a huge amount of insult that can go into a nine and they have a lot of inner stories from the past about the hurts, um, you know, and even with, you know, you know, all the work that you've done for you to be able to add Add to that, knowing your husband's story, coming out of yours for a moment and saying, this isn't really about me. This isn't about judging me. This is about, he has a brokenness here. And just sharing that with him, invited him into him allowing himself to see his own suffering. And that was huge for him because I don't think he had permission for that. And then I also love how you gave your nine wife, Dan, permission for her to see her suffering because we know nines are like, once I share, they're going to go away. Uh, especially, like you said, a bustling one who couldn't handle that perhaps as a mom and wasn't in the Enneagram lingo at the time. And so that's incredibly hard. And that takes a long time to do that work. So I'm just sufficiently impressed. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. Yeah. Again, it's back to, this is so much stranger than what any of us would have presumed and stood before whomever made our vows and walked out husband and wife. And then, and then to go, oh my gosh, uh, I, I, can't, I can't imagine the 24, 25-year-old couple that got married listening to this podcast oh going, goodness. oh my yeah. God, you mean it took five <laughs> decades to get there? Yeah. And the answer is, well, uh, uh, yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I don't see that as a, essentially as a problem as much as, oh my gosh, this journey has been wilder and sweeter and far more agonizing and yet so far more lovely than I could have ever, ever imagined at those, mm -hmm. at those young, sweet beginning mm -hmm. years. Oh, wow. Wow. That's beautiful, you guys. And the big takeaway I'm getting from this part of our, our talk before we wrap up is suffering is really important to honor in your partner and in your family. And of course, I'm thinking of Job's friends that when people finally quieted down, they just sat with Job. Um, but somebody like me who sits in the seven space, it feels like I'm doing the wrong thing. Intrinsically, when I'm trying to comfort somebody, 
uh, you know, outside of my session work where I may even have to count it out sometimes in my session work where I'm like, Krista, give it, you know, five or 10 seconds before you run in with your problem solving. Um, but in my own family, I feel like there's this desperation that doesn't want to wait. Um, the love is too big, too sensitive, too agonizing. And so I want to heal it for them. Um, there's a lot of people like me, especially in this fast culture. What do you think we can say to them when they're scared and me too, to, to suffer with, because we feel like we're going to make it worse. Yeah. I, again, I, we don't have much honor for fear. It is such a, obviously biologically disruptive emotion. And so that normal fight or flight uh, usually is our more typical response. Mm -hmm. But if there is that, freeze or even fawn the idea of can you sit mm. with what you are suffering and not bring judgment mm. nor bring resolve mm. you know if, if people will choose at one level to go no i will bring judgment against myself for what i'm feeling mm. and on the end not be working to resolve but to have that curiosity mm. of what what indeed is going on, uh, what is it in this moment that's being revealed about me or about my spouse, mm. um, to be able to sit, and I think that's Becky's phrase of pausing and honoring, and in one sense being able to welcome fear as a guest. Uh, into your life, into your home, into your body, and to be able to say, you are here to bring me something. Uh, not just teach me, but you, you're you're here to bring me something. And, and I want to I want to receive all the gifts, this rage, this hurt, this uh, uh, confusion, this fear is meant to bring. So if we will at least treat our inner world as a guest, uh, I think there will be a, a greater sense than of both clarity uh, where, where there can be, but also a willingness to go, I, I'm okay not knowing. Uh, yeah. I still want to engage my partner um, with what I know uh, I most want to be and what I most want to offer, even if. I'm confused or hurt or fearful. I think that creates a different tonality mm. for what a marriage can be. Yes. And Becky, do you like that then when he will give you that time and sit with you and, and hear your injustices? It's so extravagant. Aww. And I, I think that that's what we're learning too. Uh, just really beginning to learn is, is this time we have is quite extravagant and needs to be honored and treated that way. We are so fortunate. We're so blessed to um, love each other still mm -hmm. and to want to even love better. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And I know everyone wants to connect with you even more now that we've reached this part of the interview. Tell us about what we can hope for in the marriage retreat and and just by getting to peruse your website what are the resources you really feel most passionate about for couples we do have a special enneagram coupon i'll share afterwards as well well we we work with steve and lisa call that yes. i know you have had on as yes. well 
And it's a delight because we're sort of the older couple. Uh, they're wouldn't see themselves as being the younger couple, but they are. The but younger they are. <laughs> Having two different perspectives, certainly four different uh, Enneagram types. But what what we try to do is to create a context where we do conferences, where people get that first entry into something about the nature of what it means to leave your mother and father, mm. what it means to actually weave by words a level of communion, and what it means to become one flesh. But a lot of times, that's enough to get people going, I want more. And so we developed this retreat where people have a chance, usually only about 30 to 40 couples, no small groups, no interactions directly about your marriage, but where the material begins to take you into attachment and trauma uh, and to the implications, particularly of your family of origin. And we do a lot of work where you do writing and talking and exercises. So it's a little more intimate uh, than the general conference. Uh, but then we also, with the calls, do something we call the marriage intensive, where we'll take eight couples uh, and four, four couples will work with Steve and Lisa, four with Becky and I, um, and begin to step into the particularity of family of origin stories. How has your trauma shaped the way you both engage one another and yourself as a result of your marriage? So we've we've worked really hard to, in one sense, give people what they need. And some people just need that first entry. Some people need an entry without direct personal engagement with story but some people need to step into uh, the richness of their story and where it is both very broken and very beautiful and also say that steve and i but also becky and lisa are finishing a book on trauma and marriage that unfortunately will not be out until the year 2025 but uh, it's been an exciting process to say that you know, for us, some of the greatest delight uh, is is our marriage and helping other marriages. And Ooh. this is our, you know, in one sense, swan song on this earth labor ah. to, to help grow what we have been so transformed by one another and what we want for other couples. So that's the invitation. Plus, Steve and Lisa and their work called Reconnect and our work at the Allender Center, we both have online courses. So that's sort of a full menu of wow. what we've been doing. Oh my gosh, that's great. And I see it in terms of our Enneagram instincts for those self-prez types, they can stay home or some of us are self-prez by proxy of having younger children and and just needing that space. Some of us though, like you said, need that one-to-one -one time where it's very rich. And I like how you said there's a protective layering where it's, it's you guys doing the work and you're already t stepping out to go visit a center and to do this deep work. And so you get to have that 
intimacy of knowing this is you too, and we'll teach you. And then, like you said, there's a bit more of a social uh, retreat as well, where couples can, uh, you know, have the bigger picture. And I think that's important. My husband being in that group, he likes the the wider group. And so I love how you're even attending to people's trauma layers. And then there's the book coming. So we're very excited about that. And your website is the best space, it sounds like, to find all of it. Is that right? Absolutely. It's, uh, I always forget it, but I think it's the allenderscenter.org. Org. Yes. And I will be sharing that in the show notes as well. Um, and so I'm so grateful and that is definitely the website, but, um, we are just so honored to have you here. Your work is a delight. We can't wait to see this swan song. Uh, we're just happy tears over here of, uh, you know, minor interior cause I'm a seven, <laughs> but you taught me about bringing them out more. So I appreciate that so much. And we just appreciate you guys. What a delight to yeah, be with this you. This is and, so fun. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining. I am still so moved by the vulnerability in the stories. I'm just grateful. I quite honestly thought that the elders would come on just from a teaching space. I was totally ready for that. And instead, they bared their hearts bravely with this 8-9 pairing to be so justice-oriented together. And it really showed me that for them, their way of shining in the world is to hold justice for one another. And so just look for what your ways of shining together are and try to honor that and with story. And and I just ask that you would really try to find one thing from today's episode that you're going to take with you, even if it's grabbing that code Enneagram15 and signing up for one of their courses or even going to one of their retreats. Also know that we have all kinds of books between us both for you to grab for Christmas presents if you're in that season. Last minute shop anybody. I know I'm going to be doing some still, but I have gotten my hubby mostly taken care of and my kids. And so I am in that fun space of let's make a few cookies, still having a couple sessions. So I hope that you guys are still wrapping up. Jack and I finished our middle ages book last week. So we are having fun with just starting to relax and unwind a bit for the end of the year. And I hope you do too, even as we're also doing the big work of working on our family of origin stuff or setting the boundaries we need to, to make it safer. So safe, good, and also fun and loving. These are our goals, right? As we think of our our head work, our body work, and our heart work too. So I welcome you to do this with me and I look forward to the next time. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. Visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show, as well as EnneagramandMarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.